0: Welcome to No Finish Line, a podcast with John O'Regan, sponsored by Great Outdoors Dublin.
1: This episode is sponsored by Great Outdoors, Ireland's premier outdoor retailer, and today we are recording in the new Great Outdoors store on Silk Road, Georgia Street, Dublin. You will find them online at www.greatoutdoors.ie. It's never been as easy to travel, and with the right planning and preparation, a whole world of new experience awaits anyone with a bit of wanderlust. From safaris in Africa, to trekking in Nepal, or walking the Inca Trail, to whitewater rafting in India, the list goes on. This is the first of my travel-related episodes, and I'm delighted to be joined by experts in the adventure travel industry from Dublin-based Earth's Edge. They specialise in trips such as the ones I've mentioned, and can help make your adventure more accessible by looking after the planning side of things. Established in 2007, Earth's Edge organised high altitude trekking, mountaineering, and adventure expeditions in some of the most stunning locations in the world. We will talk a bit about what they do and maybe go through some of their frequently asked questions that will help you with your own travels. I first met Joy Spartley and James McManus at a Never base Space Camp information evening in the Great Outdoors, and I listened to the questions that were being asked. The same answers are relevant to a lot of trips regardless of whether you're traveling as part of a group or on your own expedition. Joyce and James, welcome to the podcast.
2: Thanks for having us, John.
1: Cheers, John. Now, From my own experience, you learn from experience and it's the tips and tricks that are picked up along the way that help make the travels more enjoyable and maybe get you a little bit more acquainted with a world of adventure. A few years back, I traveled to Scotland for some winter mountaineering with a friend of mine. We went on the cheap, stayed in a hostel in Glencoe the weather was too bad, and we only managed one proper attempt at climbing Ben Nevis. And for most of the week, we couldn't venture too high. We spent most of our money just playing pool and hanging around the town. But in the same hostel, there was a group that had booked a week's climbing with a local company and local guides. They managed to do something every day. And it was then that I realised the benefits of going with a guided group. Joyce, how did you get involved with AirSedge?
2: Um So I first heard of the company when myself and my mother decided we wanted to do something um, a little bit different. We had gotten into hiking um, over one summer back in 2015. My dad who works for the Navy was uh, overseas at the time and um, my mum wasn't keen to spend her her weekends uh, indoors or or feeling like she wasn't getting any adventure in herself. So um, we dusted off the old hiking boots and very very Slowly started um, to get back into the outdoors and um, picked up a couple of uh, useful bits of information along the way, such as not heading out with the bare minimum in the backpack. Always prepare for the worst, even on the Irish hills. And because we enjoyed it so much that summer, we kind of started looking around for what we could do with it. What was the next step? And my mother found Earth Edge online just through a Google search. Found an Irish company doing all of these amazing tracks overseas. So we decided we'd, we'd aim for something big. So there was a bit of debate about what would be our, our first target, but we decided on Kilimanjaro. So we got signed up with the company, and that was 2016. So we had about 18 months of a lead in. We were Probably overly organised, um, but we were really looking for a, a goal to aim towards keep us on the straight and narrow during the, the winter months when it's a little tougher to persuade yourself to get on the boots and, and get out in the, the hail and wind and, and, and all unearthly conditions. So we were signed in for the trip in August 2017 and had been working away, ploughing on with the training. Didn't really know if we were hitting the, the mark um, with what we were doing, but Thankfully, two months before the trip, there was a training weekend in Glendalock. So we were going to get a chance to meet the team we were traveling with, meet the guide and doctor who would be leading um, the trip for us um, and kind of get an idea of where we were at with our training at that point. Um, we had... An amazing weekend at that weekend. We were very lucky with the weather. Um, but we got a chance to meet actually one of the, the guides who I now get to call a colleague. Um, Louise Lawrence, who's uh, an amazing addition to the, to the team. But she was there that weekend, answered all of our questions, went through everything from what to expect in the weather, what we could expect on a daily basis on the mountain exactly what gear to bring you know she took a look at all of our bits and pieces that we brought with us that we weren't sure if we were getting the right quality of gear or whatever and and told us exactly what was what and persuaded myself and my mother that we did actually need down jackets we were convinced at the time that layering was going to do the trick and sure listen we haven't we dealt with awful conditions in in Kerry but a heavy down jacket is definitely key if you're going to survive up on top of a, a 6,000 meter peak so we came away from that weekend feeling fantastic we were you know definitely felt like we were hitting the right mark with the training and managed to get the last few bits and pieces organized in in the coming weeks Um and then when we turned up to the airport in august it was actually james who was leading our our group so james is um the owner and md at earth's edge and he does get out on trips frequently and um, he does three or four every year i'd say he would do more if if he could and um, so it was just a, a kind of a mad confluence of events that he happened to be the guide on the trip and um, the experience itself in Tanzania on Kilimanjaro was incredible. Um, myself and, and mum, you know, still talk about it. We've, we've done other things since, but that's always the one we go back to. And I had the most amazing time. And as it happened, James was supposed to have someone start in the office that, that week that we were on the mountain. Um, and they had to pull out for him whatever reason, um, that they, they couldn't take the job. And I remember cornering poor James on the, the second to last night. We were about to go on, on safari the, the following day. And, uh, I was like, listen, you know, I, I, I would really love to to do this you know and he was like no you're on an expedition hi, you're oxygen deprived you don't know what you're talking about and uh, I was like no 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 I think this could be you know this could be really really good so uh, I actually had um, my initial interview for the job um, by the pool in the hotel in Arusha not where we normally host them unfortunately and um, but yeah, so James was kind of quietly encouraging, but assured me that it would not fly if I wasn't brought in for an official interview uh, once we got back to Ireland. So um, yeah, a, a week later I was in Dublin doing the interview and three weeks later I had um, packed up my job in Cork, packed up my apartment and uh, moved up to Dublin to, to start. So that was September 2017 um, and I've been up here since. And how many
1: anyway, times have you been to Kilimanjaro?
2: Um, unfortunately only once at the moment but I am heading back February 2021.
1: And what's your favourite trip?
2: I did Everest Base Camp with Island Peak last year and it was incredible. So Kilimanjaro will always have a, a very special place for me because it was my first trip, my first experienced altitude. But I actually had a great week on the mountain. We follow um, a trail called the Machame Trail. So it's, it's a longer route up the mountain and allows for great acclimatization. And um, I had felt great all week. Like I was getting 10 hours sleep a night in the tent. I was eating really well. I had no headaches, no um, altitude symptoms at all. But then on summit night, it all came crashing over me and I had, you know, dizzy spells, couldn't, couldn't walk straight, couldn't talk properly. Apparently I don't remember it very clearly. So I actually didn't summit. Um, and I was the only one in, in our group who, who didn't. and um, and I think the fact that I didn't and it, It's still such a special place for me. It's kind of testament to just exactly how amazing life is on the mountain. The, the support from the local guides, the porters. Um, you know, I had a full team around me at all times and they couldn't, they couldn't do enough. Um, and I really can't wait to get back there. But because of that experience with altitude, I was a little bit wary about what I could do next. You know, was this something that was going to be an issue on other trips or the thing is with altitude, it can just, you know, happen you can do three trips where you've no effect and you've been to huge heights and then one that doesn't seem like such a challenge and you experience every every single symptom you know um, and it, we we do everything we can to try and regulate that for people and, and make sure that they don't suffer with it you know you experience altitude but you don't have to suffer altitude and um, so I decided I was going to push the boat out a little bit and aim for um, Island Peak last May which is a 6,100 meter mountain in the uh, Himalayan region in Nepal. Um, so we got to trek to Everest Base Camp first, um, and then come back down the valley and head up and do Island Peak. And very happy to report that that went very, very well. And I made summit. Um, and it was, I think it's just kind of shown me what I, I can do if I, if I have the, the proper motivation, you know, I really didn't want acclimatization or altitude to, to become a factor for me. So I did everything I could to make sure I was as prepared as possible before I went.
1: James, how do you pick the locations?
0: Yeah, it's a really good question. So we try and focus on destinations and mountains that we think will really excite our clients. So we always go to one of the greater ranges and try to take people way off the beaten trail and to really remote locations. So this year we're climbing Kangatsi 2 in uh, Ladakh in northern India. Um, it's just a really a very remote, isolated area with not so many, very few other trekkers. So we're really excited about that one. Um, <clears throat> and then we have some other trips in the pipeline like uh, Peak Lenin in Kyrgyzstan. Um, I guess the, the, another way of looking at it is if there are places that really excite me that I want to see and I want to go to and I think it'll excite, excite other people as well. So that would be a big factor for sure.
1: Yeah, I was just wondering are there places that you had already been and then you decide you want to bring people there?
0: Yeah, exactly. So I started the business in 2007 and before that, most of my life was kind of surrounded by adventure. So I went off to, to Zambia when I was 17 to work as a safety kayaker on, on the Zambezi and took various different expeditions to India, South America, um, worked in the States, just lots and lots of different expeditions. great experiences and just having an absolute blast and eventually after doing two full round the world trips guiding in different countries I decided I wanted to share those experiences with other people so I started the business then that was the the premise to share that those experiences and with other people's real uh, passion of mine.
1: And what would you think is the most popular trip or the most popular area that people want to visit?
0: Um, for us I guess uh, Kilimanjaro Everest Base Camp and uh, we have a new trek in Peru that's uh, very very popular where we visit uh, Machu Picchu but we also incorporate this other lost city called uh, Chucky Corral, which is the same size as Machu been Picchu there. yeah have you been there? Yeah. amazing oh it's amazing isn't it? yeah so, yeah, we we really like demanding treks. It, a huge part of our experience is people are challenged and training, preparing. Um, so Chucky Corral and Machu Picchu, that trek is similar in difficulty to Kilimanjaro. So there's a real challenge to that. So that's proven really popular, which is fantastic. We just launched that uh, last year. It's amazing. At the
1: time I went over, it was part of a marathon wow. running trip. And we ran the full length of the Inca Trail. But when I look back at photographs, there's so much that I don't remember that I didn't see because when you're running, you're just looking forward. You're never looking behind you to the side. So you miss all that. So I've been calling it sightseeing in a hurry. So some of the places I've been to, I haven't really seen, so I I have to go back again. But that place you mentioned, we went on a couple of tours and got to see a bit more of the country and the the local culture. But you're going to miss a lot when you're just going over to do a race. Now, if somebody was to go on a trip, say Everest Base Camp, and they've got a gear, is there much of a difference if, between what you need for Everest Base Camp as what it would be for going to your trip to Machu Picchu?
0: There's not much difference. No, I would say like for all of our expeditions, eighty to ninety percent of the equipment equipment list is the same. There's some things like the down jacket and the sleeping bag that are temperature rated or have a thermal property. In some Everest Base Camp you'd need slightly warmer stuff than Machu Picchu.
1: When Joyce was mentioning the down jacket and that earlier. I can see why people are a bit hesitant to get something like that because they're so big, or so bulky. But there's a saying in these cold areas that if you travel light, you freeze at night. And at night time, you're really, really glad of having something like that, aren't you? Absolutely. And the same with a sleeping bag. Sleeping bag is key. Yeah, it, you get the warmth from the weight
0: yeah i suppose with the sleeping bag um the thing is if you're not warm enough at night you won't actually sleep through the night you'll wake up every you know half an hour 45 minutes and you'll turn and you'll just be a little bit cold so um you know even if you're mentally tough you you won't get that really good sleep so a warm sleeping bag is key for sure Yeah, that
1: was a form of torture waking people up during the night and like you said there but if you're on a trek and you're not sleeping at night you're not recovering as nighttime time is when you recover from the exertion of that day and get you ready to do the same thing again the next day. So if you're not sleeping, you're going to be tired and cranky. Totally, yeah. For
2: sure. Like, I always tell people there's three key items on any of the list. It's your trekking boots, your down jacket, and your sleeping bag. And if you think of the importance of a good pair of boots, which, you know, anyone, even the... A day trekker that gets out, you know, a couple of days over the summer, um, out in the Irish hills. You know how important those boots are, and if you think of that level of importance and attribute it to the down jacket and the sleeping bag, that's kind of like the, the the holy trinity in terms of the the equipment list. You know.
1: Yeah, I was just about to ask you that. What would you think are the most important pieces of kit? And I suppose those items. You're going to use them in Wicklow as well? or down, Oh, down the,
2: the jacket I had on Kilimanjaro, I wore in today on the tail end of Storm Kira, and it's, you know, it's, it's still doing the trick for me, so.
1: Before someone goes on a trip, whether they're going with yourselves or going off trekking on themselves, what do they need to know before they go? Let's say Everest Base Camp.
2: With regards to preparation beforehand? Preparation or beforehand, yeah.
1: What can you do to make it the most comfortable and enjoyable trip as you possibly can before you leave Ireland?
2: We start a process with everyone that's traveling with us from the minute you book on. We take a deposit um, to secure your place on your chosen expedition. And then once your deposit is paid, you receive your login details for your online account on the Earth's Edge site and it's through that account then that we collect all the information that we need from you in order to organise your expedition Um, and it's also where you can log on and make payments, you can pay in instalments up to two months before departure. So it's items like um, the medical declaration form which is a form we use to gather um, kind of a brief medical history from everyone who's travelling with us because we send an international doctor out on every trip trip, we like to give them um, a brief history on everyone that they're traveling with so that people receive the best level of care possible out on the mountain. And there's other items on your account, like your travel insurance. Um, so you need to have that set up before you go um, and we can give recommendations on on companies to deal with there. There's a specific list of requirements for each of the destinations um, and we can tell you exactly what what's needed for, for each location. And there's also a doctor's consent form. Um, so everyone that travels needs to bring this to their their own GP um, and have it signed, kind of sealed and and, and stamped as such. Um, And basically all it is is that there's nothing outstanding in the medical history that that could be an issue for them. Now, because we travel with a doctor, um, it opens up the possibility to a lot of people who haven't been able to do these kind of treks before because they have that extra level of support. So the doctor goes out there with their own knowledge and expertise, but also with you know 24 7 support from the office um, and with a fully stocked med kit. So that has opened it up for a lot of people who have maybe chronic illnesses or who haven't been able to, to travel previously because they've been felt a little uneasy about being in that situation. Having that kind of um, that backup and, and that extra level of care has really put a lot of people at, at ease. So the doctor's consent form that we take from you is just from your own GP, um, and the best thing to do is to get it completed when you're going to get your vaccinations each of our uh, destinations has a specific vaccination requirement so we keep in touch with the the travel health clinic we work with them very very closely um, and they keep us up to date annually on what's required in, in each of the destinations so again we pass on all that information and then you can have your vaccinations organized before you travel.
0: Yeah, prior to departure, people would want to make sure they have the right equipment, they get the correct vaccinations, they have travel insurance, they're aware of all the visa information, um, that they get themselves physically prepared. And that's something that we, from as soon as people sign up, we give them out all the information they need around that.
1: And regarding the vaccinations, if someone's living in my County, Cork, or somewhere down the country, where do they go for the vaccinations? Have they had to come up to Dublin?
0: No, not at all. They can go to their own GP and they'll have information they can access. So when you go to see your GP, you tell them the destination you're visiting and the GP will recommend vaccinations. We work quite closely with a, a travel health clinic on Dawson Street called TravelHealth.ie and they send us out an exact sheet of what every what you need for each destination that we travel to.
1: So if you're in Dublin, that's probably the handiest place to go. As you know, they'll have what you need.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, they're they're really, really good. Really solid. Um, Yeah.
1: I can see from your website that you're very safety conscious, but I can also see that you have a very strong, responsible travel policy. Can you tell me a little bit about that?
0: Sure. Yeah. So as a company, we're very much focused on the environment, our impact on it, and the communities that we work with in different parts of the world. As you know yourself, John, the environment and trying to lower emissions and your footprint is it's a huge area and it's very multifaceted. But we have a number of projects that we that we run. We have very strict leave no trace policy. We have a number of responsible travel projects. Most of them are are actually we run in Tanzania. We run more trips to Kilimanjaro than anywhere else in the world. So we work very closely with an American NGO called KPAP. The kilimanjaro porter assistant program and they come in each of our climbs and um, to audit how we treat the porters so they monitor how much the porters are carrying and um, they check they get a fair wage that they get a fair share of the tip that they get three meals a day and they have the correct clothing and finally somewhere dry and warm to sleep at night so what i would say to anyone who's thinking about going to kilimanjaro and um, it's very important they climb the mountain with a K-pop affiliated company because unfortunately um, if you don't do that you run the risk of um, exploiting porters indirectly. We also have a guide exchange where um, each year we select one of our local guides in each of the countries we work in and we fly them to another country so this year Edgar, one of our best Peruvian guides, he's coming to Everspace Camp with us and it's a really good program because it rewards uh, best performance and it also gets us to share ideas from a per- operator with um, the ne- Nepalese guys so it's just a sharing of ideas we also have a porter scholarship program uh, again on Kilimanjaro we select one of our best porters and we train for them to become uh, mountain guides on Kili and it's a really useful thing because it actually costs $900 to train to be a guide in Tanzania now so that is beyond the the means of most of the porters so it's it really gives them a huge boost um we have a tree planting program here in ireland where we plant three trees for every client um in wicklow and uh, any of your listeners that want to join us we're doing we're planting the trees on december 6th uh this year so get in touch with us if you'd like to come along finally our volunteering program where our staff take um inner city kids from dublin out hiking in wicklow and we take them out for a nice walk and do some forest skills. it's a really fun day out we do those days in may yeah. it's really nice
1: I was one of those inner city kids.
0: Look at you now, huh?
1: Yeah, look at me now. <laughs> yeah. But that sounds really good because the porters work really, really hard. And anybody that has been on a trip to every space camp or wherever can see that, like the loads that they carry, and not just the porters working with trips like this, but those that are bringing stuff to and from the villages. Like it's it's incredible to see what they what they carry. So it's hard work.
2: Often it can be the difference of in in the though so if you're looking at you know, this trip is X amount and this trip is is Y. Um, that can, can be the difference. It's, it's the treatment of the porters because people will first go to undercut um, and take fewer fewer staff there, fewer support staff, um, which means that those that are left are being overburdened and, and not being given the, the care they need on the mountain, you know. And um, so it is something to be cognizant of if you're looking at any kind of travel like this, for sure.
1: Yeah. And actually, when I was over in Nepal, before I went to the Everest Marathon, I was staying in a fancy hotel and a couple of people there were planning on heading up to Everest Base Camp as well. And it was only when we were coming back that we seen them making their way up because they had so much trouble trying to actually get a guide. Whoever they had booked had both ripped them off and they were stuck in the hotel for an extra week. So they were waiting on family to wire them through some money. And that was the first time I've actually seen people using Skype. That was back in... 2007. But they lost kind of a week of their trip because they were just met somebody on the street in downtown Kathmandu and they went to a hole in the wall and we shopped and they they got ripped off. Lesson learned.
0: It really echoes your own experience in Scotland that time, you know, and we see that a lot where we um, end up offering support to other people on the mountain that aren't in our groups. So I think... um, with something like this, if you're going to, you know, take time off work to go and do one of these big expeditions, it's really worthwhile um, having an international guide or a very competent guide who can really look after you and make sure everything runs smoothly because, you know, your nutrition and your wellbeing, hygiene, if you get any of these bits of detail wrong, it can just destroy your trip and um, mean that you won't achieve your goals.
1: Yes. And that's a good point because Although you're doing a lot of the the planning and providing the the guides and you have the route laid out, there's still a lot of personal responsibility. You have to do the training. You have to be prepared to carry a certain amount with your day pack. And hygiene is very very important. And the more extreme the environment, the more important the hygiene becomes. What would you put in your day pack?
2: Um, So we... We need everyone to carry two litres of water um, at all times. Um, so that's probably the heaviest weight in, in any day pack. And there's a lot of debate about what way to to transport the water, what's best. Um, I would just say to people, it depends on, on what you're used to using at home. So if you always use a platypus when you're out in the Irish hills, use a platypus. Um, but if you're always using a bottle, like a, a big wide neck Nalgene, then use that. The one thing to bear in mind in that is that um, on... You know, a particularly cold point on the trek, whether it's into base camp or whether it's to a summit like Kilimanjaro, and um, the platypus can be difficult to operate. because you have to remember not to leave water in the tube, not to let it freeze over. So that is one one small thing to bear in mind um, on that front. But I suppose that's more detailed packing. Um, the other only other items you're going to have in that pack are your snacks, um, and we always encourage everyone to ensure that they snack throughout the day. You'll be fed three substantial square meals um, but you need to keep your energy levels up and um, you'll be exerting an awful lot more than what you think you are because your body's dealing with altitude and everything else and um, so you do need to snack away during the day it's not the time to to go on a diet or um, to be super fussy about what you're getting in you just need the energy so you have it there to burn um, and the other only other items then will be a spare change of clothes so maybe your rain pants and a rain jacket or a fleece if you think your, your guide is going to advise you on, you know, if we're going to be reaching colder temperatures that day or not, or what the, the weather is looking like, um, and your camera. That's it. So it really depends on how many, you know, Snickers bars you need to squeeze into the bag. It can be anywhere from kind of six to eight kg, you know.
1: Now, as you mentioned, the platypus and the nalgene. So the platypus is a hydration bladder. You now, a problem you can have with that is if you put hot water in, it can tend to it burst it, mm-hmm. and that has happened to me. But yeah. the advantage oh. of it is you can actually scrunch it down so it doesn't take a bunch of weight yes. or much room. But the, the Nalgene then can become a hot water bottle as well. Right?
2: Yeah, the I mean. Nalgene, Nalgene's in the hot, the sleeping bag at night are very popular in, yeah. in the tents. Um, so you take the take the hot water at night, put it into the bottom of the sleeping bag. With a tea bag. Heat, yeah, heat, heat, <laughs> heat, heat your toes and you've got a, a lovely fresh drink in the morning then, you know.
1: Yeah, what happened to me with the platypus was I arrived in, into Lukla and got some hot water very, very quickly, poured it into the bladder, poured it into my bag, and the whole thing poured.
0: Yeah. God. We see a lot of people who do their first trip with us, they put too much, um, too many things in their day bag. Yeah. And um, I'm sure you and a lot of your listeners are ultra runners, you have a really good appreciation of weight. And it's something, especially on the bigger mountains like Mira Peak, Aconcagua, Elbrus. Um, Kanyatsi that I would always stress with people on an expedition that I'm leading is to, to try and carry what you need and not more than that you know because if you have um, you know four Mars bars instead of two it's double the weight you know sometimes people put a lot of small things in that, that add up um, so that's really massively important and we touched on hygiene again um, that is massive you know especially in um, all of our destinations but India and Nepal particularly um we're really, really kind of hard on telling people to make sure they um, use the, the hand sanitizer all the time. And it's something that um, people can, if they're really strict on it, they can avoid getting sick. It is, if they're very strict with that, it's pretty easy to avoid getting a gastric issue, um, which makes a huge difference. If, if when people get sick, they become very uncomfortable and also really reduce their chances of making a summit or, or finishing a track. So it's very important.
1: Yeah, that's right. If you start getting sick, you lose motivation, morale is down, and it can be really, really hard to bounce back. Because if you're not eating, you're not getting the calories in, and it really is downhill from there when you're trying to go uphill. So one of the things I used to do at night time was, whenever I get my hot water, is flood the treads of the bottle. by turning the bottle upside down, and you loosen the top, so the water comes and goes over the treads, and then you're closing it onto them. And that takes away some of the bacteria that will be coming from your mouth that will be neutralizing your mouth. But when it's outside, it starts to congeal. And I'd also give my toothbrush to go cleaning every morning with some uh, boiled water just to keep that as clean as possible.
0: Yeah, for sure. The other good one is the, the the water bladder to make sure that the tube, the nozzle, the bit that you suck on, it doesn't get into the dirt. Um, it's When you take your bag off and take a break, people tend to drop that down and um, that's something to be really, really careful. If you can shut it into the, to the top of your bag or there's covers that you can get for those as well, they're quite useful. And the bladders um, for, you know, nearly all of our treks, um, they're fantastic because it's so easy to stay hydrated. Um, when you get really tired, the effort of taking your bag off and getting a bottle out um, is, you know, y- you can sometimes skip Definitely those much. opportunities and um, and your hydration is as good as where you need it. But having, as Joyce mentioned, when you're going up to a, you know, six 7,000 meter peak, um, the bladder is not going to work. So you do need the Nalgene as well. Um, it's very important.
1: When myself and Mark went to Everest Base Camp, we were carrying similar loads. So he was using my bag and I was using his bag. So if I needed something, I went to his bag. And likewise, he would do the same. So my water bottle was hanging off the edge of his bag, which worked very, very
0: handy. Fantastic.
1: You mentioned carrying 3 litres of water. Can you not just refill your water bottle as you go in the rivers?
0: You absolutely can. It depends on the destination that you're in, you know. So on the ascent of Kilimanjaro or uh, we do a lot of treks in Ladakh, is not always water um, all the time, and I know you're running around the the John. But we're walking, going a little bit slower, so it can sometimes take us three, four, five, six hours to get from one water source to another. But uh, we use a uh, Cataline um, and MSR filters to filter river water, and then where there's no river water available, we use a purification tablet. So depends on the, on the route. Sometimes you're carrying one to two, sometimes three. You know.
1: Well, as a rule, I generally. Treat most water as suspect, so I, I would always be inclined to use a filter anyway. I, I wouldn't just take water directly from a river, especially if I'm somewhere that I'm more familiar with.
0: Mm. Yeah, filter or purification tablet would be kind of standard on our trips as well.
1: What about walking poles? Are you a fan of those?
2: I don't use them in Ireland, but anytime I go on a trip like this, I have them with me. Um, even if you don't feel the need to use them, they're great for helping you to pace. Um, one of the um, the factors with acclimatization is maintaining a slow and steady pace, keeping your heart rate down, giving your body the opportunity to adapt and adjust. Um, so using the walking poles to create that rhythm is very helpful. And then especially on the downhill, like something like Kilimanjaro, you're, you're five and a half days to the top, you're a day and a half walking downhill, which can be quite hard on on the hips and the knees. So the, the walking poles help to take some of that kind of shock uh, out of the descent. and and make you feel a lot fresher by the time you reach the gate you know
1: as you mentioned acclimatizing what is the process for acclimatizing
2: so there's a couple of different factors to consider with acclimatization one of them being uh, the route or the length of time it takes you to complete your trek. So we've taken care of that aspect um, for people by selecting the routes that we have. So we always opt for a slightly longer route. So our Everest Base Camp trek is 18 days. We have extra days built into that itinerary where we take what we call rest and acclimatization days. Rest, I think, is kind of pushing the boat a little bit. It's a a shorter hike um, than the other days. For something like Kilimanjaro, we're taking a longer route up to the top. Um, again, on Machu Picchu, we're ascending and descending regularly during the day. Taking that extra time to reach your destination gives your body the time to adapt and adjust. It's kind of difficult to, to speak about them generally. So I'm just going to take Kilimanjaro as an example because um, I can kind of give a bit more detail on on the route and, and everything there. So for something like Kilimanjaro, There's a couple of natural points on the trail where we are climbing higher during the day than the point we're sleeping at at night. So on day three and day four, we will reach upwards of 4,500 metres during the day, but we sleep at 4,000 metres. So this is a, a tried and tested mountaineering technique very cryptically called climb high, sleep low. And it's one of the factors that aids in this acclimatization and adjustment. You're exposing your body, your system to this different atmosphere with the lower oxygen levels. um, And then you're kind of flooding the system again by descending down for where you sleep that night. Um, Another factor in that is the the pace at which you travel. Um, So the constant chant that rings out from the porters and guides on Kilimanjaro is pole pole which just means slowly slowly in Swahili um so the pace is something that you wouldn't really encounter on on the Irish hills um it is it is very slow and the the purpose of that is to try and keep your heart rate um down keep everybody nice and comfortable you don't want to be building up, you know, a, a massive heart rate and a big sweat um, because it's it's not conducive to that kind of proper acclimatisation and adjustment. Um, other factors then that are not might say scientifically significant um in terms of acclimatization, but we know from experience our key factors in it would be things like um ensuring you eat properly. Um it it is a, a factor with acclimatization that if you're experiencing altitude you may lose your appetite. Um but you know yourself even under regular circumstances if you miss a meal or if you're not feeling the best and you don't get the food in, you're not going to have the energy and you're already asking your body to put in all this extra work for you, you know, by taking on something like this. So you need to be fueling it. So even on the days where, you know, it's it's not really appealing, you need to be getting in some sort of energy source as frequently as possible. Another thing would be sleep. Um, so again, it can be more difficult to sleep, fall asleep and stay asleep at altitude um not something i suffer with myself but i don't know is that some kind of anomaly with me so again think about you know your your day to day if you've had a horrible night's sleep and you're back in the office again the following morning you know your brain isn't running on 100% everything's a little bit more difficult and if you're out on expedition and and again demanding this of your body you need to try and make sure you get proper rest so whether it's just Taking, you know, the time to properly wind down in the evenings, um, when you get back into your tent or back into your bed in, in the, the tea house, um, and just getting that rest, allowing your mind to drift off. Um, another factor then, which is very, very important, possibly one of the most significant, um, and it may seem, you know, too simple to mention is hydration. We, we all hear that kind of eight glasses of water or two liters a day is kind of the, the, Regular, um, recommended minimum for a trip like this, you need to be trying to consume between three to five liters of water a day, because that hydration will will help um, your system work through everything that it that it is um, dealing with. And again, this might sound a little bit but we encourage people to to practice this Um, you know it's so common that uh, a lot of people will kind of you know have a cup of coffee with breakfast um, maybe they'll have a glass of water with lunch um, and maybe it's you know a little glass of you know at at the end of the day and there's not a whole lot else going in so if if that's your norm it, it can be a big adjustment for your system to to adapt to taking in greater um fluid levels so have it, a, a bottle again at the desk and see how many times you, you can refill it over the course of the day and, and work to try and improve that.
1: Yeah, I think that's very important what you said there, hydration and practicing it because the body adapts to what it does. And if you are not taking in much fluids during the day, your osmotic receptors downgrade. So your body mightn't be as efficient without the water, but it learns to manage without the water. But then when you go somewhere exotic and you're at altitude you're not able to take in the same volume because your your body just isn't used to it and you're, it just overflows. So yeah, hydration, I think, is really, really important. And when you're exposed to the sun, you're losing water through as you're breathing, as you're going to the toilet, and then there's radiation and convection and all those ways. So yeah, hydration is really, really important. So yeah, practice.
2: Our key phrase around um, altitude is control the controllables. So all of those things—food, um, sleep, water, the route—those are all things that you know you can actually take control of uh, in order to you know fight against uh, something that's kind of an unknown quantity for most people heading out on their first high altitude trip. And it's very know?
1: annoying if something goes wrong that you could have prevented. Mm-hmm.
2: Exactly. You don't want to be you know. Either not making it to the end or there at the end going, oh God, you know, I would have enjoyed it so much more if I had just been more relaxed or I had just been that bit more adapted, you know.
1: You mentioned carrying a camera in your bag as part of your, your daily kit. Most people now carry their phone as their camera. Yes. Phones don't have a very good battery life. So is there a means to actually recharge them on the trip?
2: So again, that depends on what trip you're on. So, for something like Kilimanjaro or Machu Picchu, where we're intense, or even in Ladakh, it's all camping once you leave Leh. Um, definitely having a battery pack. Um, see a lot of people using solar ones, which yeah, that's what I use. Yes, which can be great. But then in these mountainous regions, you can't always be guaranteed that there's not going to be some cloud cover, which which can affect that. But Obviously better than having nothing. Um, Most of these destinations, you're not going to get great reception in them. So what we tell people to do or encourage people to do is put the phone on airplane mode. That way the phone isn't wasting battery by kind of searching for a signal as such. So again, just going back to my own time on Kili, I charged it the day we left the hotel and I gave it a bit of a boost the night we went for summit. And I had used, I have so many photos from that trip, but that was all I was using it for. You know, you don't waste time on phones when you're out on these trips. You're actually sitting down talking to people and, um, you know, relearning the art of conversation. So that is something you can do. Another trick with anything battery operated. So, you know, you'll have people with fitbit watches or what have you um is to put anything that has a battery into your sleeping bag with you at night um because the cold can have a play havoc basically with the lifespan of a battery so your head torch your phone camera watch whatever it may be into the sleeping bag and keep it nice and toasty next to you in the evening
1: that's a very good tip now you had to mention head torch there and that's something we we had mentioned earlier So as we're going along, you keep coming up with something else that sounds very sensible. Can you maybe talk us through a kit list for, say, Everest Base Camp? Somebody might not think of these things. They're obvious when you hear them, but they might not just come to mind.
0: Yeah, absolutely, no problem. So your hiking boots is probably the single most important thing.
1: Now, I'm going to stop you there for a sec. When you're flying from here to Tanzania... Would you wear your hiking boots?
0: Yeah, we email people in advance, tell them to wear the hiking boots. And it's usually the down jacket in their day bag, which they carry as carry-on. Just in case your luggage goes missing on the way, um, those are definitely the, one of the, your know, boots is so important.
2: It happened last year, we had a guy whose, whose bag actually went missing, part of a group. Everyone else has arrived and he was wearing his boots and he could start the first day of the trek. And his bag was run up to him the first night at camp. So he had everything then, you know, and that can be the difference. Like, otherwise he would have had to wait around for his bag to arrive or what Very have Very true.
1: You. Your footwear can be the single most important piece of equipment because your feet get you into the extreme environment and they can get you out of trouble.
0: For sure. And, you know, one of the questions we get asked is which brand is the best, you know, and it's uh, the ones that suit you. Exactly. Yeah. It's so important. We're in the great outdoors today to come in somewhere like this and get your feet measured. And they'll recommend a a suitable boot for you. Um, Some of our expeditions, you need a mountaineering boot where they can take a cramp on. But most, it's a standard hiking boot. And if people have something they're comfortable wearing in in Ireland, that will work very well for our expeditions as well. So moving through the list, underwear, socks, very important. And then you've got your base layers. So you need maybe two sleeves short sleeve base layers and two long sleeved, you need thermal tights and then two pairs of trekking trousers and depending on the on the length of the trip you might want to add an extra pair. You need rain gear, so you need a rain jacket and pants. And I guess the down jacket, we touched on that already, so so important. And again, it causes a lot of confusion. So what we'd say for something like Kilimanjaro or Everest Base Camp, you want to, as in a medium men size, you want one that weighs at least 600 grams. So what causes people confusion is the fill numbers. You see on this on the arm of a jacket, it says um, 650, 700, 800 fill. And that number actually refers to the quality of the feathers in the jacket. So I wouldn't, people don't need to worry about that number so much, it's the weight and size of the jacket. If you remember, John, your your lagging jacket on your uh, water cylinder back in the day. Yeah. So you basically want something that looks like that with a hood on it. You want a big jacket, okay? Very, very important. You need um, a good pair of sunglasses. A lot of the destinations like Ladakh or we do treks to K2 Base Camp in Pakistan, you're in the sun and it can be quite dusty all day, so you want something that can category 3 sunglasses. very important to protect your eyes and um, sun protection is, is massive. I would just say to people, these expeditions are not a place to try and get a suntan. You need to protect your skin and your lips, it's very important. The best way to do that is completely cover yourself with, with a liner glove and a sun hat um your walking poles massively important for me um you know they're best known for for descending and protecting the knees giving you longevity in your knee knee functionality but what they're really good at is ascending at, at altitude they settle you into a steady rhythm your backpack 30 to 35 liter pack A duffel bag, which you give to the porter or our team of yaks in in Nepal, um, that's going to be carrying everything that you don't carry each day on the trek. So you'd have your sleeping bag, your spare clothes, some toiletries, dry bags, so important. You know, most duffel bags aren't actually waterproof, so you need to put your clothes um, in waterproof dry bags. The same as your day pack, it needs to be um, waterproofed as well. A, w- a way to carry water, water bottles, analogines, a warm sleeping bag, that's so important. Um, depending on the destination and the, the highest point you're, you're camping, that will dictate how warm a sleeping bag y- you need. Um, for our expeditions, one with a comfort level of minus 15 degrees Celsius is pretty standard, the minimum that we require. Sun cream, insect repellent, hand sanitizer, so important. You know, you can buy that in Lidl, but it's a really, really important piece of kit. Your toiletries, you know, your shampoo and conditioner. No, I'm just joking about that one, but enough to keep you comfortable. A personal first aid kit. Obviously, on our expeditions, we have a, a, an expedition doctor. But especially if people are traveling independently, they need, um, you know, plasters, compedes, uh, paracetamol, motilium, imodium. Um, a broad spectrum antibiotic is a really good idea, especially if you don't have a doctor. Those things are you're quite likely to need. Kind of on the same list, medication. Um, If you have any kind of skin condition or any medication that you take on a regular basis, it's very important to bring that with you. Don't take the attitude of money away for a week, I won't need it. Skin conditions tend to flare up quite a lot on Expedition. Your personal snacks. Okay, so um, I know as an ultra runner, a lot of you guys are super into um, and up to date with your nutrition. What I like to tell people who are coming on our expeditions is to take the chocolate bar they deprive themselves every day. You can, you know, just whatever's going to get calories in fast, if you enjoy that, take it in. You know, for, for most people going to Machu Picchu or Kilimanjaro, it's not super high performance. They just need to have food they really enjoy eating. Head torch, very important. So on a summit day, you need one with fresh batteries so you can see where you're going. Yeah, that'll be it, really. Those are the, the big ticket items.
1: And a lot of those items can be used on other trips.
0: Absolutely, you so know.
1: Once you have it, you have it.
0: Yeah, I have a, a sleeping bag and down jacket. I've been using for the last fifteen years. You know, you, you people, you really will get what you pay for with equipment. So I would encourage people to to go and buy good equipment, or you know. It, it's also a great idea, something like a sleeping bag or a down jacket. You know, they're not a, like, unlike footwear, they're not a really fitted item. So reach out to your friends and family. You might be someone you know who's done one of these trips previously and you can borrow equipment from.
2: Can I just say um, two things just as you were going through the list, I was thinking of it. One of the things with sun protection, sun cream, lip balm, hat, buff, everything is that a lot of our clients are Irish and we're all used to a very low level of, of sun exposure in all of our destinations, you will be reaching altitude that you've never reached on the Irish Hills, which means you're more exposed to all of the sun's rays. So even though, you know, there might be a bit of cloud in the sky, it doesn't seem like it's, you know, it's not a bluebird day like you'd get at home. Um, you're actually still far more exposed than anything you would be. So you want to come home with absolutely no change in your skin tone from um, any of these trips. Um, and then the other thing, um, as you were saying there about the head torch, yes it's vital on, on summit night. you You know, usually on these trips, you're you're leaving in the dark to to kind of get a a start on the day and break the back of the the track in, in the wee hours. But it's so important as well. Going around the campsite or in the tea houses at night. Like you forget about it, but your you know your toilet isn't right next door as it is at home and you can kind of you're so used to doing the, the trail, you can stumble in and out. You need the head torch on to be able to locate where you're going and, and not rob someone else's boots or you know, whatever else. So it's a kind of a piece of kit that can often be overlooked, like oh, I'll be grand to have a little torch on my phone or whatever. It's it's not the case on, on a on a trip like this, you know.
1: We call those the essential essentials. Yeah,
0: yes. yeah. There's a,
2: there's a gradient of essentialness to, to some of these items for sure.
0: Top tip when you're camping is to put your hand on your head torch before it gets dark. You know, I was trying to stick it around my neck because once it goes dark, it's like, you know, there's no light switch. So. Yeah, you
1: need a head torch <laughs> yeah, to hold your head torch. Yeah, exactly.
0: Yeah.
1: Oh, yeah, something else that I always like to bring with me is a notepad or diary to take notes of what I've done. and There's little things that you want to recall when you get back and you won't always just remember them
0: yeah we would recommend as an optional item to bring a book or um some some paper to write on you know because i suppose the people ask us which is the best of our trips and which one like we all have favorites but for me the the thing that is similar among them all is the headspace that you get into you know life becomes so easy and simple on these treks where you're getting up in the morning and you're walking and you're eating and then eventually you sleep there's none of the the noise that we have of living in a city and the complexity of life. So you get into a, a very, very good um, headspace and um, your phone's not connected and you come up with some fantastic ideas. And to be able to jot those down and, and really reflect on the trip and maybe um, through the experience, make some changes in your life. It's, it's very important to be able to document those.
1: And as the days go by, you get a, a greater appreciation of where you are and where you've come from. Like when you say you have to carry three litres of water per day, and you have to try and drink approximately five, there's an effort into getting that water. You mentioned using a water filter. You have to pump that over a river, and sometimes you can be taking a chance with the water source. You might get to it in time. You could be without water for a while, but all we've got to do is go to a tap or get a bottle of water from a shop, and it's so simple. You don't really appreciate it until you've had to carry it.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. I think all the, all the comforts we have, um, living indoors with, with a roof and electricity and heating. Um, yeah, just, and you know, the destinations that we go, you realize, mm-hmm. um, on every level, we're the lucky 0.001% of people that are born in Ireland in the Western world. And you get to work and meet people that don't have the opportunities that we have. So you are very, um, it's a very humbling and uh, experience. And you, you come back feeling very grateful for, for what you have at home for sure. Yeah.
1: Now before we finish up, is there any piece of equipment that you wouldn't be without when you go on one of these trips? I have a favourite hat. It's a smart wool hat it's in my bag here and I bring that everywhere with me because you know I always like to have a, a hat when it well,
0: you can see why, but
2: <laughs> Oh God. Um
0: do you have I, I, I did have a lucky sleeping bag that I got uh, on a big kayak expedition in India in 2004 but I've subsequently lost it. It was amazing. Uh, yeah, it was it packed down like the size of an Nalagene but it was a minus six bag. Um, it was a big expedition where we did carry everything on a self-supported expedition like a, a 30-day trip in India back in the day but yeah, it's, I have it no longer, you know, so maybe don't put that in the edit.
2: <laughs> um. God, without wanting to get overly um, sentimental, I suppose, I have the the sun hat I had for Kilimanjaro, I still have. It came with me to Nepal and it will continue to come on each of my treks. Um, and I have a pair of walking poles that um my godmother used to own and she was supposed to go on, on a big trip last year, but unfortunately she passed away. Um, and we would have been very close and we would have, you know, frequently hit the hills together. She was uh, a big part of the posse with myself and, and my mum as we got out in the, the hills prepping for our trip. So I have her, her walking pole. So getting to bring those to these destinations and kind of taking a moment to, to think of her there is, is important for yeah, me. Yeah, that's now.
1: nice. I'm glad they asked that question Yeah, now. Mm. Yeah. yeah. I had a, a North Face duffel bag mm. and I was in Antarctica. How uh. humble bag, mm. And it got, caught, <laughs> no, it got caught in the Caterpillar tracks being brought out to our tents so there's a big rip in it and I brought it back here to have it uh, sewed up but they replaced it oh. no. and I was I was trying to get my my give bag it, back that's a battle skirt. Yeah. yeah and that was a story with somebody that oh how did that happen
2: I have a I have a pair of, of trekking pants that I they're a heavier pair of pants so I don't use them in Ireland and um, but I I wore them on summit night on Island Peak and they have rips in them from the crampons mm. and it is my favourite part about them now that yeah. they have those yeah, rips from the crampons, yeah. you know? Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I would be devastated if someone oh, tried to replace them. No, I've got a them. brand
0: no. new one back no, wasn't oh. saying? But it's, I suppose, um, for me, one of the nicest and most satisfying things about my job is, is the people we meet on these expeditions what's so satisfying is you know when i guide on something like kilimanjaro i've been up there so many times now but you know when when i get to the to the top I'm, I'm 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 tired i'm getting close to exhaustion and when i turn around and i see someone uh walking right behind me who maybe only started hill walking eight nine ten months ago and you know is maybe in you know in their their mid-60s and they've decided i want to climb kilimanjaro i just Think those people are so inspiring um, to see them go on and achieve their goals, and and just to, to go on and tackle something like this. And a lot of those people have amazing backstories. They could have been, uh, you know, they might be fundraising for cancer research because they lost someone close to them. And they all Come have on. their journey and their why if they're doing it. And just to. To be able to see that and facilitate that is very, very satisfying for me. It's and fantastic.
1: one I on my travels is that a lot of people who are doing these kind of trips, no matter when they start, they always seem to do another one and another one. So it becomes kind of a... Oh, you addictive. get the bug. Yeah, they, they, you get the bug. That's it. So I think for that reason, it is important to keep yourself out well. And as we mentioned earlier, good gear isn't cheap, but cheap gear isn't good. If you have a problem when you're up a mountain, you can't buy your way out of it. No. If, if something you have fails, you're in trouble
0: yeah absolutely i think i think that's a, such an important point so you got to have the right equipment and you got to prepare properly i mean when people do something like kilimanjaro or base camp and they decide they want to do another one they start looking at, at peaks like aconcagua or elbrus and something like aconcagua you're away for 22 days and obviously the weather plays a huge part and but you generally always get one window where summer day is on and it's amazing how many people won't be able to attempt on that day because they don't have the right gear or they're really badly sunburned or they're not physically ready. So I think um you got to really focus on your prep and control the controllables as Joyce said. And uh, you will get your day to push your body and and attempt a summit for sure. But just preparing yourself and staying fit and healthy on expedition is so important.
2: You never want to be up there and think, I should have done that bit more. I should have gotten up and done that session. I should have gone out on that Saturday where maybe it didn't look so great out there. Um, Because for me, just from my own experience on Kilimanjaro, even though I did all the hill walking with my mother I wasn't doing an awful lot of of other training my job at the time was just a bit mental um but my mother was amazing she was you know in the gym at half five in the morning doing all this cross training during the week and 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 I felt afterwards even though you know everything else about the trip had gone so well I was like I had so many thoughts of oh if I just pushed myself and gone that extra bit and so when I went back out on uh, Expedition again in 2019, I knew that that wasn't something that I wanted playing in my head. So I made sure I had everything. I didn't scrimp on the dry bags or the head torches or anything that I had maybe questioned on my first trip out that I didn't understand the significance of. And I also made sure I, I prepared myself physically as much as I could so that even if it wasn't going to happen for me, I wouldn't be having a moment thinking, ah, if only. That's, that's the worst question you can have during something like this you
1: know yeah and that's a good one to finish up on so thanks very much for your time and you have an information evening here when you finish this you're talking about the trip to Annapurna Annapurna Base Camp yeah I'm going to miss that now because I'm meeting somebody for a run bad timing okay James and Joyce thanks very much for your time
2: thanks so much for having us John thank you
1: now if you enjoyed this or any of the other podcasts you might consider leaving a review on Apple Podcasts or subscribing wherever you listen thank you Thank you.